I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to the Learning Capacity Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast, improving student learning outcomes with neuroscience-based learning programs since 1999. To find out more about individualized language and reading programs for your child, visit learnfasthome.com.au. Language and reading. They're universal skills required by everyone across the world. And with English being such a dominant language, there's an increasing number of people looking for ways to improve their English literacy, especially for children, either because they have specific special needs or because they need to improve their English for business reasons or because for whatever reason there's an imperative to learn English. Peter Carabee, Vice President of Global Business Development for Scientific Learning, is in the privileged position of being able to witness the effects of the Fast for Word products as they help people with their language skills and provide them with new opportunities, often completely changing the trajectory of young people's lives. The program is based on neuroscience and the concept that the brain is not fixed, but plastic, and has the capability to change itself. Peter describes it as one of the things that can give us all hope. I caught up with Peter at the biannual LearnFast Summit in January 2016, on a sunny day in Manly on Sydney Harbour. Peter Carabee, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here in Manly doing this interview in person. Um, life could be worse, you know, it to could. be invited to, uh, to Manly, um, outside of Sydney in the, uh, in, your, in the middle of your summer. Uh, that's a good deal. Actually, that's a good segue because you have quite an international life mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm kind of struck by your position because you, you're in a privileged position. Uh, you get to travel the world to see how Fast Forward gets implemented all across the world. Uh, when you see success on such a wide scale, what kind of personal reactions does that generate for you? Well, it's, it's just constantly reinforcing. You know, it's... Uh, it, uh, the opportunity to go to the different places in the world that are implementing our programs is a, is a privilege for sure. Um, it's it's a constant source of inspiration because no matter where you go, no matter what the culture is, <clears throat> no matter what the language is, um, we seem to have success. You know, we'd like the success to be on a on a wider scale, and we want to reach more learners. But whether the uh, whether the emphasis is on English language learning or special needs or, or children just having general difficulty reading, um, what we find is if properly implemented, the programs work, and what, what, what comes out of that is a tremendous number of personal stories. Mm. So the number of kids that I've seen whose lives have been changed, uh, being able to talk with parents who um, you know, literally say that, uh, that uh, their, their kids' lives have been changed, that's remarkable, and, and that's what that's what uh, keeps me coming back all the time. Now, we could talk about the science and the data. You know, we could talk about charts and things, but that doesn't go so well for our listeners in a podcast. Mm -hmm. The thing that you said earlier today uh, in our conference today, which was uh, a great day, by the way, uh, you said that you often come across people in your travels where people are in tears telling mm -hmm. you uh, how good it's been. Yeah. And so that's, that's one way to gauge success. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me, really, does that actually happen? It really does. When you think about what's at stake, so if you think about that child in China who um, th their parents know that having a, a good knowledge of English and going into the working world means that they're going to be able to earn 30 to 50 percent more on average than someone who doesn't have that, uh, that proficiency. Um, in China with, with the single child policy, of course that's changed now to a yeah, sure. two child policy, but 
if you're, if you're there with that single child, you want the best mm. for them. You want them to have the opportunities to be upwardly mobile. Um, and when they can see success, that has meaning um, that's, that's quite profound. Uh, I also remember a, a, a special needs child in India um, whose, parents, whose parents came up to me and said that this program uh, changed their, their daughter's life. And for them, I mean, that's their daughter. These, yeah. are, these, are, these are kids. And you're, you're a parent. Yes, that's uh, true. I'm a parent. And um, what do we want for, for our kids but the best we can give them? Well, the best opportunities, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned a couple of different cultures, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to ask is, you know, we talk about success generally. Mm-hmm. Um, does it work truly cross-cultural, or uh, do some cultures respond better than others, mm-hmm. like the Hindi culture? Does that yeah. work better for them than the Chinese culture, for example? Well, I, I would say I would break things down into, into three general buckets. So... Um, number one would be the, and I'm responsible, by the way, for, for things outside of North America, so everything but the U.S. and, and, and Canada. Um, the, the first bucket would be those countries where the first language is English, um, like Australia, Ireland, U.K. Uh, and in, in those countries, you have um, kind of a complete range of needs. So you'll have students who have a need, who, who have special needs that need attending to, that fast-forward and reading assistant can address. Um, there's also growing English language learning populations uh, in, those, in those cultures. And then just also um, generally students on the bubble, you know, students who maybe don't have a, a diagnosed special need, but who, who clearly uh, have reading problems that, that need help. Um, and then you have a second bucket, which would be uh, cultures where the, or countries where the first language the first business language is English, but where most kids speak a, a, a different language at home. And this would be places like Singapore, like India. Yeah. Um, and that's a different dynamic because there you're not necessarily talking about English language learning, but you're talking about English language improvement. Yeah, sure. Okay, uh, really Im- improving accents, improving pronunciation, Im- improving general fluency. Um, and then the third, the third bucket would be... Um, the pure uh, English language learning market, like a China, like a Korea, uh, where there, uh, there's less attention perhaps than there should be on special needs, but the first priorities for them to, to uh, Im- improve their English. So there's really three different dynamics. I, I, I think if you start, I, I don't think we're expert enough in knowing the subtleties oh. of, of, of um, cultures like um, various Indian cultures within the country. I think that would be for another day. I don't think I'd be sure. the expert to, to comment on that. <laughs> Singapore, though, you mentioned, I think would be a very interesting case because we, you know, when you mentioned that thing about uh, improving English language, mm-hmm. particularly for business usage, mm-hmm. I guess um, we in Australia here we know about Singapore as being an important commercial hub, uh, and it is across the world. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of product right. goes in and out right. of Singapore on its way around the place. And... I can imagine there that the imperative would be very high for mm-hmm. younger people to have a very strong command of English, and fast forward is obviously making an impact there. Yeah. No, that's correct. I, the the environment for us, we have a great partner in Singapore, just like we do here uh, in Sydney with with Learn Fast. Um, our partner in Singapore is called uh, BrainFit Studios. Um, the environment is extremely positive for us in a place like Singapore because you have a highly motivated. 
um, populace mm -hmm. that indeed just you know like like any parent as I said before wants the best for their for their children but where you have strong government policy that supports that as well so it's it's a tremendous um, environment for us there so in Singapore we've uh, penetrated into uh, not only schools but we also have through Brainfoot Studios um, uh, learning centers where students can go in after school and get remediation on uh, different learning challenges. Yeah, okay. And this does not just include fast forward and reading assistant, but it includes um, some of their own um, proprietary solutions. Sure. Well, let me just, um, on that point, let me just try a slightly different angle here and just say, look, fast forward is obviously a product that you can buy. And skeptics might think, well, you know, it's just one of those things that people try to add on or bring into schools. Uh, and it should never replace good teaching. Mm -hmm. Now, you have experience as a classroom mm -hmm. teacher. What do you say to the skeptics? Well, I would say that uh, having had that experience as a classroom teacher, and way before, you know, this is back in the Stone Age, but way before um, I had certainly any knowledge at all about neuroscience, you know, my, my concept then was the brain, the, 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 the children in my classroom, the brains that they had were the brains that they were stuck with, mm. right? And I, my job was to try to do the best I could with that, and my my um, the way I was measured was to make sure I poured as much content into those brains as I could yeah. in the school year. Um, fast forward and reading assistant do not replace the teacher, and, and that is not the intent mm. of, of programs like these. What we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to prepare for the teacher a student brain that is more ready to learn. So if we can, uh, especially with fast forward, if we could build cognitive skills that are going to be important, uh, skills like memory, attention, processing speed, and uh, the ability to sequence, if we could build those underlying cognitive skills, we're going to be giving the teacher the raw material that, that then a good teacher can take and really run with mm. and be able to, to truly implant a lot of content um, in a way that will be uh, much more highly absorbed by a student who's ready to learn. In a moment, I ask Peter about the emerging field of educational neuroscience. Is it just intellectual-sounding talk, or is it for real? For more discussion on educational neuroscience, explore the Learning Capacity Podcast archives at soundcloud.com slash learnfast. In episode 20, I ask Dr. Martha Burns, Director of Neuroscience Education at Scientific Learning, about whether educational neuroscience is for real. Um, is this a specialist area of knowledge, or is it just a general title for intellectual-sounding conversation? <laughs> Actually, it is a new branch of neuroscience. Neuroscience, I should say, is a relatively new discipline. Um, neuroscience as a discipline emerged around 1995, 1990 to 1995. Before that, we had groups of people... Once again, that's episode 20. And you can find that episode, plus many others, at soundcloud.com slash learnfast. You were talking about uh, the Stone Age. I'm sure you weren't teaching in the Stone Age. Oh, yeah. It was Fred, <laughs> it was Fred Flintstone, Barney, Rubble, and me. Yeah, yeah okay. that was it. <laughs> okay, so we're talking a few decades ago. A few decades ago. Educational neuroscience wasn't around. Fast forward wasn't right. around. Educational neuroscience seems to be a term that uh, is emerging mm -hmm. and can actually sound a little bit... Uh, frightening. Is it, is it a, a real thing or is it just a title for people who like to sound intellectual? 
Well, I think the opportunity, it's both the opportunity and the curse right now, in my view. I, this may not be a view that's completely shared by, by some of my colleagues, but there's, there's a, a tremendous amount more of, of um, awareness of neuroscience right now. Um, but there's also a lot, in my view, a lot of companies who are pitching neuroscience in a way that's not backed up by uh, efficacy, you know, okay. and, and I think that's the, the big difference. It's, it's one thing to have um, uh, educational games or educational exercises that are, that are you know, where the claim is, is that they're based on neuroscience, where a child does a repetitive game and gets better doing that game. Mm. Um, and that's their example of success. Um, for us, success is measured by um, actual research studies which show profound changes in the actual structure of the brain, the actual activity of the brain. Uh, and then at an, at an output level, um, the over 200 research studies we have that show real progress um, by users of our programs in school districts. Okay, so let me just clarify this. We're not talking about a program that makes you better at doing a specific thing, like you're not being trained for a specific purpose. Mm -hmm. You're being trained, or your, your brain is being trained uh, in a way that makes it better able to adapt to whatever it needs to do. Exactly. You, the, when you talk about underlying cognitive skills, um, that is the bedrock upon which everything else is based. And these are not discrete skills. Um, memory and attention, for instance, they don't operate um, independently. Mm. There's an interaction there. Uh, as you, um, and that's one of the foundational components of how Fast Forward was built, was that, there's, that uh, these, these cognitive skills are, are worked on simultaneously. And that simultaneous development um, really provides for um, uh, the, the enduring nature of the results that we get. Now, we talked today uh, in the conference about some of the things that go on in the brain when someone does fast forward. And we were actually discussing the fact that the, the anatomy of the brain is changing. So the brain is being rewired, mm -hmm. so new neural connections are being mm -hmm. made, so that the, the capacity to learn is being improved. But that's actually physically changing mm -hmm. the brain. That sounds, on one level, a little bit scary. Should we be scared about that? Well, not really when you think about um, the, the fact that uh, uh, that, that plasticity, it's, it, it all comes down to brain plasticity. And the concept of brain plasticity is, rather than it being scary, it's what gives hope okay. to, to all of us. Because as, uh, as our founders, uh, um, Mike Merzenich, uh, Bill Jenkins, Paula Talal, and, and Steve Miller, uh, what they found, especially Mike and Bill, who were focusing on brain, the brain plasticity side, um, was that no matter how old you are, your brain can st is still plastic enough to okay. be changed, even mine. Although my wife not, <laughs> may not agree from time to time, but there's a, um, that's what gives that's what gives hope. Yeah, um, these are the you know when when we get success, and, and this doesn't happen in in every case for sure, but we we've even had anecdotal evidence of of uh, our programs having impact on stroke victims mm. whose brains have been um, certainly uh, uh, impaired as a result of, of their condition and where Fast Forward has been able to, to help remediate that situation. So do I have to be a brain scientist to use this? If I'm a teacher or a parent, do I have to do some kind of preparation myself? I mean, how involved do I have to get? Well, I think uh, when we go into schools, and I know, I know the Learn Fast group 
here uh, does the same thing. There's a certain, certain sort of introductory level of, of brain science that's, that's very helpful mm -hmm. in um, being able to understand the, um, the requirements of the implementation I guess of the, the program. I guess the basic understanding for someone to understand mm -hmm. that the brain is plastic yeah, would it's be good, the, good starting it's the brain, and, and it's And it's really common sense things when you think about it. And we, we often use sports analogies uh -huh. to, uh, to get the point across. So if, if I uh, sign up for my gym membership and pay $100 a month, uh, and that's U.S., so it's real money, right? <laughs> uh, if, I, if I pay that amount of money, and if I only go to the gym uh, every second Thursday, um, I'm not going to get too much out of it because my muscles are not going to change, mm, okay? Right. So my, and the, there's plasticity there too, right? <laughs> we're, we're trying to change those muscles. Um, but if I go religiously, you know, if I follow the, the suggested protocol, if, if my personal trainer tells me to, to go uh, three times a week and work out rigorously for an hour, and if I do that, I'm going to see some pr profound changes. Yeah, sure. um, that analogy works when you, when you start talking about the brain, that if, if we can exercise the brain in a precise fashion, as our founders and teams of scientists uh, in the development of, of the programs, as, as they intended, these are very precise exercises designed to uh, exercise particular parts of the brain. If we follow that protocol, that's what, what will lead to the, the plasticity changes. Now, some people will be saying, oh, look, I'm not sure this fits with my idea on pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a previous conversation I was having with uh, Dr. Martha Burns about educational neuroscience, she was saying, well, there's, there's a, a scientific approach and then there's the pedagogy approach where pedagogy is more of a philosophy of education. Mm -hmm. Are these two mutually exclusive? Can they coexist? How does this work? Well, I think there has been a divide in, in, in the past, and, but through uh, trying to educate the marketplace um, and through you know, just neuroscience being more well-known now, um, you can see that divide uh, closing. Mm -hmm. okay? the, the two can live harmoniously and should live harmoniously. It's basic, the basic principle is, as I, as I mentioned before, let's prepare a brain that's going to be um, in a better position to learn. Let's prepare a brain that has improved cognitive skills so that the, the content challenges that they're going to be faced with, regardless of whatever pedagogical approach you're, you're taking, um, that pedagogical approach will have a better chance of succeeding. Uh, all we're doing is laying the foundation. Mm. We're, having, we're having that brain do the push-ups and the sit-ups uh, in order to get in shape to run the race. And the race is the pedagogy. Yeah, okay. So I like that, that, <clears throat> that, that picture language of, of laying a foundation. I'm just trying to imagine when a young child enters school, like uh, my son is about to start school, and, and I think about how prepared is his brain? Well, I, I don't really know. Uh, I guess I'll start to find that out as I start mm -hmm. to see how he interacts with mm -hmm. school. Tell me, as you look into the future with, with Fast Forward and educational neuroscience, is this something that all children should, should do? Can all children benefit from it, regardless of where they start from? Well, it's always difficult when we... The answer to your question is yes. I think every, every child can benefit. But you know, saying that can sometimes sound um, over the top, right? I mean, it, like it, can, sound, it, can, yeah, it can sound like a, a sales pitch, uh, this will help anybody. I believe, and most of us at Scientific Learning believe that that, that indeed is the case. But uh, where we try to focus our attention is uh, on, on those children or those populations or subpopulations of extremely high need. 
Mm -hmm. So when we look at um, second language learners, um, looking here in Australia with an, an increasing number of uh, refugees and immigrants, um, mm -hmm. they're going to come faced with lots of challenges. Um, not only do they not uh, know English, which they're going to need to know to, to prosper um, in, in the culture, but they've got all of the factors of, of stress, for instance, yeah. that have been imposed on them because of the, because of the situation that they're in. That's a high need situation that, that, um, where they can really benefit from, from our program. Um, in other cases, uh, children with special needs. You know, if you've got an auditory processing disorder or dyslexia, or if you're somewhere on the uh, autism spectrum, um, and we have research that shows that our programs um, are, do real well in these situations and, and can, can help address some of these issues, that's where we focus on. Now, um, if, you, if, we're, if we're in a school, for instance, which purchased our programs uh, initially to address a small population of high-need learners, well, that, that word spreads. You know, the, the success that we can generate spreads to other, other places within the organization. And if that leads to other children, perhaps with less obvious needs, gain, gaining access to the program, well, that's great. It's just a natural progression. Mm. But all kids can, can benefit. Just want to pick up there on your comment about refugees. We talk, or in this conversation, we've been talking a lot about fast forward, helping people with English. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about the situation in Europe now with a lot of uh, refugees coming from the Middle East. Right. Can we translate this situation into people who, like all the, like the million refugees that mm -hmm. have just arrived in Germany, for example? Mm -hmm. Can we translate this into that situation and fast forward help those people too, but in German? Well, if we had a program, if we had fast forward in, in German, that would, be, that would be great. Now, uh, this is where it's going to get a little complicated. Well, there's a project for you. Yeah, there's a project. <laughs> um, just because of the nature of our, our resources within the company, we're, you know, we're a reasonably small company. It, it would be great if we had fast forward in every language, but we don't. And, and one of our focus areas is in helping kids learn English. Mm. So it's not likely that we're going to have a version of fast forward in German or any other language uh, anytime soon. Having said that, um, we actually get some benefit with kids whose intention is not to learn English, but who have um, learning challenges, mm -hmm. even using our English fast forward program, even though their native language might be Polish, it might be German, and there's no intention to use the product to help learn English. Now that may sound a little weird, but it's because many of the exercises within Fast Forward are sound-based or tone-based, mm -hmm. where we're helping, we're helping um, that Polish child, for instance, um, more rapidly uh, be able to discriminate sounds and phonemes. Okay, so, so even there, we will get benefit. Now it's a much harder marketing pitch to, sure. to do that, and that's yes. why, um, unfortunately, you know, we haven't had as, as big an impact in, um, in Europe as we have in other, in other places in the world. Um, but there can be some benefit. If someday we can have a, a fast forward in German, I'm sure not, on, not only would Angela Merkel be happy, but a, a lot of new, uh, new folks coming to Germany would be, would be thrilled as well. So the vision looks bright. The vision looks bright. Just like anything else, all it takes is, you know, it's time and, time and money. Sounds great. Peter Carey, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much, You've been listening to the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFast. To make a comment on this podcast, send us an email to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au 
And to find out more about LearnFast and individualized programs for your child, visit learnfasthome.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.